In the fall each year we all congregate The mouth all gathered at the church of Hillgate The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday and that thing We are thrilled to be joined today by Will Carr. Will is a national correspondent for ABC News. He is a proud Georgia graduate and a damn good dog, and we are excited to talk with him today. Will, welcome to the show. Thanks, Seth. Happy to be here, man. Anytime I can talk about the dogs, uh, I love it. Yeah, we're all uh, we're all licking our wounds a little bit today. It was a tough one Saturday night. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, I'm out here in Los Angeles and watching it without a bunch of other dog fans was even more painful because you like to mourn together. But uh, it was a tough one. And I mean, I'm pretty sure that we have lost every game we've played against Alabama since I was back in college and they don't get any easier. No, they sure don't, brother. I mean, it's just, uh, it was funny, too. I was talking to my co-host about it on our recap show yesterday, and so like in some ways the score was a little deceptive just because it, it did feel close, and, and we obviously have the athletes to play with them. It's just their offense, man, is so explosive. They probably got three first-round guys on the outside at wide receiver, and I don't know about you, but for us, Matt Jones is a dude, and I don't know if I don't know if we actually gave him credit for that, at least on our end. I mean, I, he, he had a whale of a ball game. He stepped up big time. And I thought, you know, leading up to this game and really up to the third quarter, I thought that this Georgia team felt more solid overall than some of the recent Georgia teams that have been done really well. Uh, yep. I just, it feels like the team has – I'm calling them Quattro, but uh, that's my nickname for Stetson Bennett. But it feels like the, it feels like the team – has just this belief in Quattro and that he's going to be able to, you know, pull things through. I mean, things, uh, the wheels fell off in the second half, but, you know, I still would like to think that this is uh, a really strong Georgia team and sort of a bizarre year. I mean, you know, who knows what's going to happen. You don't even know if, if there'll be a game next week. So uh, it's been an entertaining season so far, and uh, hopefully we can shake off this loss and uh, move forward strong. Yeah, the nice thing about this one, right, compared to the other ones, is there's that lack of finality to it. So it doesn't feel as much of a gut punch, I feel like, as the last few against Alabama because it's kind of like, okay, this is a good marker for us and a way to gauge where we sit now. And let's take the next seven to eight weeks and kind of recalibrate and get ready for hopefully another tilt in the bends on December 17th. I mean, that's been my philosophy this entire year with with everything. I'm a, I'm a huge sports fan, but this year I just feel appreciative to be able to watch sports. Um, you know, not even knowing if we'll even have an SEC championship or if there will, will be a, a playoff. Uh, you know, just every single weekend that you get sports, I think, is a much better weekend regardless of the results. Although being a tortured Atlanta and Georgia fan, it feels like <laughs> it just feels like more of the same a little bit. But, uh, you know, I'll take it this year. Yeah, so you talk about loving sports. Why don't you tell us a little bit about growing up and the role sports played in your life and kind of how that transitioned into high school uh, and the role sports played in your life during your high school career? Man, sports were everything for me growing up. Um, I, I played everything as a kid. 
and got pretty serious into baseball and football uh, as I became a teenager, uh, played travel baseball, um, played year round while I balanced playing football and, and actually basketball, although I was a pretty terrible uh, basketball player and um, would watch the dogs on Saturday. So my dad went to Georgia, huge Georgia. Okay. Fan. So we would, yeah. always, we would always watch the dogs or uh, I grew up um, hunting on the weekends, uh, about an, okay. hour, an hour and a half east of Atlanta and um, a place right outside of Greensboro, Georgia named okay. yeah, yeah. Infield, Georgia. And we would listen to the game on the radio while we would be out hunting quail. So wherever we were, we were always taken in the dogs. And then, you know, I'd always be thinking, you know, man, what if, what if I could be out there playing? You know, what if, what if I could be in Sanford Stadium? And it was sort of just always in the back of my mind. So uh, in my teenage years, though, I was a much better baseball player, to be honest, and ended up um, my senior year of high school. I was planning on playing baseball in college, had some interest. And I was playing fall baseball along with football. And I would go from like a football practice to go to a, an 8 p.m. fall baseball game. And, uh, you know, at the time, I just thought I was invincible. And I mean, even when you're 17, 18, your body can only take so much. And I went out to a game and did not warm up, didn't do anything. And I was playing center field and a guy hit a ball to the wall. And I went and grabbed it and tried to throw it from deep center all the way home and ended up injuring my elbow pretty significantly. And my baseball went down the drain. So uh, when that happened, my dad and I sat down and, you know, I always wanted to go to Georgia. And he said, well, uh, I think you could probably walk on and play football at Georgia. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. I mean, he like really fired me up not telling me like the reality of the situation of I've always been six feet tall. I've, I'm about the same weight. I was when I was 18, like 175. I actually probably may weigh a little bit more now. Uh, you know, the guy, the starters of Georgia, six, three, you know, 200 plus run, you know, uh, immensely faster than I do. Uh, but I went to Georgia and I walked on my freshman year and I was a glorified tackling dummy. And uh, it was, one of the best experiences of my life. I mean, it was just one, like incredibly exciting to be part of the program and two just taught me so many things as a man was sort of the things that the adversity that I could handle, you know, when you're 18, you think you can handle everything until, you know, life really shows up at some point. Uh, And it was a real challenge being around guys who are significantly better athletes than I was. And uh, that just gave me sort of the mentality of like, okay, if I can hang in here for this play, this practice, this day, uh, you know, what else can I do in life, you know, outside of sports? And so that really helped launch a strong uh, mentality to persevere that I've, I've had throughout my life. No, I'm really interested in that, and I want to unpack this a little bit. So, big baseball player in high school, love that. I was the same. Also played football in high school, so totally understand the fall ball shuffle with playing high school football. Um, so, were you a was center fielder? Like, was that your main spot? Were you yeah, after about trade? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I caught was was my position, nice. and um, I love the walk. <laughs> you know, it's funny, man. I don't know if it's because I was never like um, a super big guy. Like, I, like you, I was when I was playing, I was probably 
I was still 5'10 and probably, you know, 160, 165 pounds. I was really undersized for a catcher, um, but just loved it, man. I just loved having – it's the one position I feel like in baseball where there's action every shot, uh, unless you're the pitcher, right? And even even then, I get to play the whole game whether or not people are hitting me or not, you know? So um, I always loved that, and I ended well, up – A lot of people don't give enough credit to catchers for the intellect that goes into calling a game. Well, so it was a it was a natural transition for me. Like I played quarterback on the football team, and I felt like there was a lot of symbiosis between those two positions. Like you're kind of the general of the operation and, and making sure everything's moving like it's supposed to, and and keeping folks in line. I I just think there's a lot of a lot of traction between those those two roles. But so when did what, what year did you start at UGA, and when did you walk into the football team? Uh, that would have been, I believe, in two thousand and two. Okay. Um, did so not, the same age I never, I never played. <laughs> I was literally a tackling guy. I mean, I remember, um, there was the, um, G day game and, yeah. and, uh, I actually have, it's funny. I have a picture right over there with my, with my stepdad in, uh, Sanford stadium. I'm trying to look, it looks, I can't, it's pretty far away, but I was either number 25 or number 29. And I was like the third number 29. <laughs> so there was like a starter who was 29 and then there was another guy who was 29 and then somehow they printed a third one and just tossed it at me. And that was <laughs> the, uh, the Jersey that I wore, but uh, it was a cool experience. My mom, actually, this is like something that's a joke to this day because of the G day game. We're down there. We took all our pictures. I'm in uniform, you know, and the hedges are behind us or whatever. My mom blew up, a full size because when I was a kid, I used to have posters of like my favorite Braves players, my favorite Falcons players. Uh, my mom blew up a full size poster of me in my UGA uniform <laughs> and hung it in my bedroom uh, while I was a freshman in college. And the first time I came home, I walk in my bedroom and there was a full size poster of me hanging in the bedroom and I'm like she thinks it's the coolest thing ever and I'm like this is ridiculous people are going to think I'm the most conceited person in the world so oh, I, would, that's fantastic. I would take it down and we had a, a guest bedroom across the hall and I would go just like put it in the corner of the guest bedroom and then every time I came home again it was back hanging up on the walls so. <laughs> oh I love that I love yeah, that I, I, mean, hope, I hope that is still was going she was definitely my number one and uh, highly likely my only fan <laughs> that I had. So. Uh, oh, that's so cool. So, I mean, if you were there in 02, like we're talking Coach Rick's, the beginning of Coach Rick's career there and some uh, really great players on those teams. Yeah, Coach Rick was amazing. Uh, David Green, David Pollock, Ben Watson. Uh, I specific, I have a couple fond memories. Um I remember I was lifting weights one day and it must have been on a weekend or something. Cause I was like one of the only people in the weight room at the time. And David green walked in and um, you know, a lot of scholarship players would be like really nice to the walk on some, not so much wouldn't even like acknowledge you, whatever. And I was doing bench press and David green came over and he's like, Oh, Hey man. And he like stuck his hand out. He goes, I'm David. Uh, and if you need a spot, just let me know. You know, I'm happy to help you out, this and that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know who you are. You know, you're the starting quarterback. <laughs> uh, and it was just like, just stuck with me. And then I had a similar uh, uh, thing happen with Ben Watson where 
you know, he came over and was just chatting me up for a second. I mean, like these are two, you know, 30 second interactions that those guys would never have remembered. But to me, it was like such a big deal. Uh, and to this day, I mean, uh, I think Ben is still in the NFL. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I haven't paid as close attention this year to the NFL because of COVID, but I'm pretty sure he's still playing. Yeah. Uh, he, at least he was last year. And so it's still very cool to me to, you know, see him out playing in the NFL to, to this day. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm getting up there in age now and think back on those memories. And I mean, he was like the biggest specimen, the phys- most physical specimen. And like, I'm going to misremember this. So don't hold me to the numbers. But uh, when, when he was, right before he went to the NFL, I want to say that he had like 15 catches or something like that. It was something like when you looked at this guy, he was so tall, so cut. And I think that he ran a four, four I mean, he had one of the fastest forties on the team and he set the bench press record at the time for the team and maybe the squat record. And I was like, wow, he only had 15 catches and maybe a couple touchdowns. Like, wow, this guy feels really underutilized. So I have to say I was not surprised that he has had the longest lasting NFL career of the guys who I was sort of surrounded by. Because when I looked at him, I'm like, you know, I'm looking at myself and I'm just like a scrawny minnow compared to the sharks that are on the team. But like he was like above like the strongest guys and you could just visually see how much of an amazing athlete that he was. So it's been cool to see his career go along throughout the years. So after I got done B school or while I was in B school, I did a graduate assistantship with the Redskins. And while I was there, Philip Daniels was with the Skins and um, which was great, right? Cause Georgia guy, but, and also nicest guy ever, like just couldn't have been kinder. And uh, you know, I'm like a, essentially like a PR injury, I'm like a peon, like he didn't need to talk to me or anything, but I told him that I was like, you know, love Georgia, man, we talk Georgia every week, and I mean, he was fantastic, and his his son, Devaris, was getting recruited at that time at wide receiver, so every week he'd come in and be like, man, my son had a big game Friday night, and like, uh, he ended up going to Notre Dame, like, well, when you got to UGA, did you know at that time that journalism was the, the space that you wanted to spend your career in, or did you come to that while you, no, while you I- were at UGA? So actually, it's uh, these two stories coincide. Um, when I stopped playing football, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my dad actually said to me, um, well, why don't you think about becoming a sports broadcaster? You watch ESPN, you know, relentlessly. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. So I looked into back then. Uh, again, I'm going to age myself here, but or <laughs> But back then, there was a, like, thick book of majors that you could pick. And you would go through the book, and you'd read about the majors. And so I landed on broadcast news, and it said something like, no tests, no exams, you're on air. (laughs) You're on air throughout Athens two or three days a week. And I was like, well, this sounds like a great major. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I got into the journalism program and then within the journalism school, you had to apply to broadcast news and I got into it and it wasn't until my senior year that I actually was on air and it probably wasn't until that year that I realized how much 
I really liked being on air. And uh, my passion for sports sort of succeeded as we started doing some hard news stories. And I started falling in love with the idea of holding people accountable and um, covering some of the biggest issues that matter to people day in and day out. So over the years, my, my passion for being on air for sports transitioned into more of hard news, but certainly my passion for sports never dissipated at all. So then obviously you go through, go through Grady and were you doing stuff with news source then while you were there? Yeah. Yeah. So we were doing news source and I remember my first day when I was supposed to be on air, I had been volunteering leading up to that where you like run cameras and things. Uh, but my first day I was supposed to be on air. I knew the professors and I had been like really sort of elbowing them in the ribs to let me do sports anchoring that night. And they're like, yeah, 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 everybody wants to be a sports anchor, but yeah, you can do it tonight unless there's a problem. And something happened where one of the reporters didn't show up and they probably hung over or something. And, um, they go, well, you need to report today. You can't do sports. We're probably scrapping the sports uh, part of the newscast. You need to report. And here's the story. There's like this um, kid who overdosed in a house off campus in a really affluent neighborhood in Athens. And it was a heroin overdose. But basically at the time, Athens had this uh, zoning ordinance where uh, you could not have um, – anybody who is unrelated to you live in a house with you in certain area parts of the city, basically keeping fraternities from moving into like really nice parts of the city. And this kid was in yeah. house with like 10 kids. They weren't related. So somehow I think the local paper picked up on the story because the kid died. And at the time, nobody had even heard of heroin. I mean, it's such a crazy thing to think about. So uh, they go, we want you to go down to the zoning director's office and ask him how often they see, you know, college kids violating this thing and what they do about it. And I was like, what's a zoning director? I mean, I, you know, no idea. <laughs> so my, my professors at the time, their names were Steve Smith and Michael Cassinger, like wrote down, like, here's what you need to ask him. Here's where it is. You go down there. So we, I went down with a, a guy who's still a really good friend of mine. Um, and we sat in front of this guy's office because we had called him and he didn't call us back. So we sat there for like two hours and finally he comes out. And the funniest thing was, I think he was taking us as like serious media. <laughs> like we didn't even know what we were doing. And all I wanted to do was anchor sports that night. And so he looks and points at me and he goes, you can come in, but you can't to the photographer, my buddy. So we go into his office and I pull out my list of questions. I'm like, well, you know, so like how often do people violate this ordinance? And he looks down on his desk and he's got three note cards and he reads verbatim off the first note card. And I don't know what I'm doing, but my dad is an attorney and I actually clerked for him for six years in high school and college. And I was in a lot of uh, courtrooms, a lot of trials. And so I just have a good BS sensor <laughs> and it just sort of like rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, he... What, what he responded to was nothing about what I asked him. So I go to the second question. I ask the second question. He reads off the second note card and again, has nothing to do with what I asked him. And then I said something like sort of smart ass ish. <laughs> I go, well, are you going to keep reading off these note cards? Or are you going to answer any of these questions? And he gets up and he yanks me by the collar and pulls me out of the room and says, this interview's over. I mean, this would be a, this would be a much bigger deal these days, but you know, he like yanks me out of the room 
And then uh, I, according to my buddy, he swears to this day that I said something like, well, this will be on at six o'clock tonight. <laughs> and, and, he, <laughs> and that was it. And so we went back to news source and I had no idea what really just happened. I just knew I was really frustrated. And I told my professors and they're like, well, you're on to something. This is like, you know, people don't act like that without having something that they're trying to hide or cover up. And basically we aired the story and just explained what happened. Like we didn't really have a story outside of this guy was confrontational and did not want to answer our questions. And, you know, that would have been the end of that, except for the local paper is like the, the, the local paper and the retirement homes were like the only people who watched news source throughout Athens. And the paper actually saw the story and ended up doing sort of an a expose on the guy and he got in some hot water with the whole thing. Turns out like this had been a really big deal at city council the year or two before to pass this ordinance. And apparently they had like never, ever enforced it. <laughs> and so uh, oh. it sort of blew up because of the story we did. And it opened my eyes to the fact that, wow, like I could do, I didn't even know what I was doing, but like I could actually do something that has a level of accountability uh, against people who might be doing some things and they're not actually doing the job that they're supposed to be doing. So that sort of sparked a passion for news in me. And throughout the years, actually, that, that actually helped me get my first job, which was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But throughout the years, because of my sports background, and I still ended up doing a lot of sports anchoring and news source, I filled in uh, a ton uh, doing sports anchoring and local news. And I always really liked it. But I sort of found that being a sports fan that I really love like sitting with a beer and yelling at the television and, you know, getting up and getting swings or something. And like when you're yep. working in the sports business, I mean, to me at least, and I'm sure a lot of other people who probably do it uh, might feel differently, but it always felt like a job to me. So like, especially in local news, it would be, you know, you're, you go do a quick interview, you're cutting a sound, but you're missing half the game because you're running it back to the truck because back then, you know, technology was not what it was. And then you're trying to feed this so you can actually get a live shot for the six o'clock newscast and the game's not even over. And you're like missing most of the game while you're trying right. to produce, you know, your live shots. So um, when, when it started to feel like work to me was when like, I think I made the right decision on this. I, I love it to be my hobby and, and keep it that way. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I kind of found the same thing when I was doing PR for the Redskins. It became became a job and the joy of and the release of, of rooting for the team or being a part of it kind of kind of went away. So I could totally see that. Well, obviously, doing the doing the work with News Source kind of gives you the itch and, and, the, and bit you a little bit and you, you transitioned. You, so did you go straight from Athens to Chattanooga was your first professional gig? I did. Yeah, I got, um, they hired me as they called it back in the day, a one man band. They have a different name for it now, but basically it was a, like you, we hire you and you do everything. you you report, you shoot, you edit. And they gave me a car that I would drive a station car and like a 50 pound camera. The cameras now are almost cell phone light. It's crazy. Like a 50 pound camera. And um, they gave me $10 an hour <laughs> for the job. And the funniest thing was when I took the job, they go, you know how to shoot and edit. Right. And I had just been so obsessed with like trying to be good on air that like I sort of skipped over that part mentally in news source and somehow I still like, you know, pass a class, but like, I really could not shoot. And I would, I said, you know, a little foolishly, but 
I said, oh, yeah, I know how to do that. And then I got on my first <laughs> job and I was just like, wait, I am way in over my head with this. And so I bought the cheap photographer like a case of beer and a couple of pizzas. And he schooled me one weekend early on and sort of probably saved my job because I, I would not have made it uh, if he had not helped me out. So and that was in Chattanooga where I was for like three years, I think, two and a half years. maybe. And so. Did I read right that you, you went to Albuquerque after Chattanooga? Is that right? Yeah. So I went from Chattanooga to Albuquerque and I was in Albuquerque for three years and leaving the South was, uh, you know, that's the first time I left the South for an extended period of time ever in my life. And it was really eye opening to the extent of, I, I just suddenly realized, um, you know, the country is so different in different parts of the country. And once you yep. live somewhere outside of the South, you realize, you know, there's some other amazing parts of the country and then there's some not so great parts. And then sort of you look back and can reflect on the South too. And it's like, wow, like I miss some certain parts of the culture so much. And then other things like maybe I don't miss as much. And so it opened my eyes in a lot of ways. I had never even imagined living in New Mexico. I, I literally knew nothing about it. And the only reason I went there is because the station in Albuquerque was a strong number one station in the market. And at the time, I really wanted to try to propel myself into network news. And I had done a lot of research and I found out that this one station in Albuquerque had a helicopter parked right in front of their station. And they would fly down to the border whenever a reporter pitched a story and they would cover stories on the border, which are more national type stories. And they yeah. also covered their viewing area was four states. So they just loved to use, the, use this helicopter because it was very much of like a PR, like people drive by and the helicopter's taking off and it's doing everything. And like a middle market, that's very hard to come by. So I was like, well, I want to go there so I can cover the border and, you know, I can get this exposure. And traditionally, the way to get to network is you go from like a place like Albuquerque to, you know, I don't know, a San Diego, then maybe a Los Angeles, and then maybe you can jump to the network. And because of some of the work that I did down at the border uh, when I was in New Mexico, it uh, got attention from ABC News and Fox News at the time. And they called me and both actually flew me to New York, uh, led to a lot of interviews. And then ultimately, I did get a network job from going to New Mexico uh, in the three and a half years there. So um, it's funny how things work. But, you know, because I was really hesitant to go to New Mexico and my mom, you know, she was, she was crying and didn't want me to go. Well, yeah, it sounds like it worked out great now. So you transitioned from there and you were with Fox first and then that transitioned to ABC now, right? Yeah. So I, when I was in New Mexico, I did a story. I got a tip from a guy I knew at the ATF and he said, you need to get down to the border today because there's going to be a big bust and they ended up busting like this entire uh town they busted the mayor the police chief the city councilor and all their family members for running guns to a cartel like the entire oh, wow. i mean the entire town's like wiped out like and so just imagine like who who becomes mayor after that like what happens and so <laughs> it was a national story because it's the entire town is running guns to a cartel and so I broke the story and that's what got the national attention. So when I did that, Fox offered the job, ABC did not. Although I, at the time, I actually, I really had a good feeling about ABC. They just said, we really like you, but we don't have anything right now. Fox offered and they said, look, we want to make you a national correspondent. 
because you're familiar with the border. You're doing great work there. We're going to put you in Los Angeles. And I was like, okay, sign me up. Let's go. And so I came out to Los Angeles in 2013. I stayed with Fox for just over five years. And along the way covered, you know, stories all across the United States, a ton of stories in Mexico, got to go into super tunnels that run underneath the border uh, that the cartels dig, you know, through and, uh, run their drugs through, um, covered, you know, pretty much every disaster you could ever imagine. Uh, and a lot of politics along the way too. And it just was like, so amazing for my career to be able to do that. And, um, you know, what was funny is right before I, um, took that job, Chattanooga came back to me because I had a really good relationship with them and they offered me their main anchor position, the station that I had been at in Chattanooga. And at yeah. the time, I didn't know whether I would get one of the network jobs to offer a job or not. And Chattanooga put me on a clock. They're like, we need to know by Friday. It was like early in the week. And my mom was like, take it, take it, take it. My dad always said, <laughs> take the bird in the hand, take the bird in the hand. And I just felt like in my gut, uh, you know, one of these jobs was actually going to happen. And uh, I ended up turning Chattanooga down. And then, you know, the only time in my life I ended up like my hair thinned. I ended up, you know, just getting stomach pains. I just was like, maybe I made the wrong mistake. My mom was sitting there the whole time just telling me, you know, you made a huge mistake. And then Fox ended up off, <laughs> ended up being, you know, uh, a really amazing opportunity for five years. And then, um, you know, I won't get into too much detail on it, but like a lot of things ended up changing at Fox. A lot of management changed at Fox. And um, I was still sort of enjoying what I was doing, but also I was really enjoying the non-political stories. Mm -hmm. uh, and Fox, you know, cable news in general is a majority of political coverage now. So right, right. Um, I was realizing like some of the stories that I was thinking are like really big stories weren't getting like a ton of airtime because they were covering a ton of politics. And it's just like, you know, that's what the cable networks do. And so ABC came to me in, I can't remember the year, like 2017 maybe, and said, you know, we've been following you and your, in your work at Fox and we still really like you. And, you know, we'd like to talk to you about a position. And so they ended up offering a position and it was, um, really compelling to me because I grew up watching ABC. I grew up watching Peter Jennings and Diane Sawyer. And uh, I've always loved ABC. And also, uh, you know, ABC, if you watch World News Tonight with David Muir, uh, they only give a certain amount, a certain percentage of the newscast to politics. And then they dedicate the rest of it to other things that are going on across the country. And so uh, it, it allowed me to do some of these same stories that I'm doing, but have more resources, more time, uh, you know, a better ability to sort of tell these stories. And so it, it was a really good opportunity for me. My time at Fox was, um, I real I wouldn't have, I, it's funny, like things in my life where I wasn't sure if it was the right idea or not, or things like that. Like I look back now and I'm like, man, I wouldn't be here without, those opportunities and those challenges so it really set me up for what i'm doing now which is you know traveling all across the country uh traveling internationally uh sometimes i covered uh the new zealand terror attack i go to mexico mexico a ton um and you know you just crisscross and just cover sort of the biggest my friends call me the disaster guy <laughs> you know like the biggest <laughs> things that are, that are happening from wildfires to 
one of the crazier things. I thought I had covered every disaster when I was at Fox, but in my first year at ABC, there was a volcano in Hawaii that erupted. And they're like, all right, you got to go to Hawaii and cover this volcano. And I'm like, wow, I've never, I never even thought about covering a volcano. (laughs) And so (laughs) I remember we're in, uh, we're on the big Island on the Hilo side of the big Island, which is on the Eastern side. And we're at this volcano and I'm seeing this lava run and it's like a river, quite literally a river of lava. And it is flowing so fast and it's so hot. You can only get so close to it. And I remember thinking to myself, and I haven't had that many times where I thought this to myself in my career, but I remember thinking to myself, I will probably never see something like this again in my life. Like this is so crazy to see this. And that volcano like leveled a couple neighborhoods. Uh, and to see it was just the most fascinating, awe-inspiring thing I've ever seen. And, um, you know, so with the job comes like these very unique opportunities to see parts of the world and see things happening in parts of the world that, you know, you wouldn't see with, with, you know, your, your normal nine to five job. So we've had the pleasure over the last few months during the interview series of talking to a few Grady grads and folks that have gone on to achieve certain parts of their dreams after they left UGA. And there's been a common theme amongst those stories of folks not being scared to kind of bet on themselves and take a chance on themselves. And that certainly seems to run within your story as well. What was the role that Grady and UGA have played in your professional success and how has your time in Athens, your time as a bulldog kind of buoyed you as you've moved throughout your career? I mean, I think that my time at Georgia is everything for me in terms of leading me to where I am today. Uh, I'm actually currently on the alumni board of the journalism school. And, you know, prior to this year, I go back once or twice a year with that responsibility. And I go back and I see the fire in the student's eyes. And it just reminds me of the fire that I had, uh, you know, when I was a news source. And um, it was so special to me being in that program. And I mentioned the two professors earlier, Michael Kassinger and Steve Smith. To this day, I stay, I've stayed in touch with them. They're both retired now and enjoying uh, their years. But uh, we're a Georgia family. I have three younger sisters. All three went to Georgia. And they will still remark to me, they'll say, well, I never kept in touch with any professor that I had at Georgia at all. So for me, it was like such a special program. They weren't just professors. I mean, they were like life coaches because for years I would call them. Be like, I called them when I had the network dilemma with when Chattanooga offered the job and said, what, what should I do? And they said, you know, trust your gut. And, you know, George has been there for me in so many ways along the years. And now that I can get back and be on the board and go back and do things, I mean, it's, it's really special and it's important from my perspective now that I've gotten, I've gotten to a certain place in my career to make sure that people understand just how important, how strong and how unique Georgia really is, you know? So when an opportunity comes up to do a podcast like this or to go back and to give a speech to students and things like that, uh, I, I, unless my schedule doesn't allow me to, like I never want to turn it down because I think it's such a special and unique place. Yeah, it's been really interesting to hear the folks that have come out of Grady's stories because it's it's just the quality of people that Grady has produced over the years. It, it's really unparalleled. 
Um, and it's, it's been exciting to hear that and, and to kind of see the effect that that's having on, I guess, the broadcast space as a whole. So uh, your story certainly falls in line with that. Yeah, we've actually, the past couple of years, Grady has put together a, uh, a broadcast where we've been doing it in New York. Um, I don't know what they're going to do this year. We go to New York, and it is Amy Robach, who is on Good Morning America, Deborah Roberts, who is on yep. ABC News, and she's married to Al Roker, Deborah Norville, who is the host of uh, Inside Edition. And a couple of uh, producers who are very high up in the business as well. And we just sort of have a roundtable discussion about the current uh, uh, politics of journalism. And the first time I did that, I was sort of sitting at this table and I'm thinking, wow, like I didn't even realize some of these people went to Georgia, you know, these are some of like the biggest faces and names that I've seen, uh, you know, in my journalism career. And uh, we do it on the set of The View because uh, one of the top producers at The View is a UGA grad. And wants to do it there. And then we shoot it on The View and then they take it back to Georgia and they present it at like a fundraising dinner every year or something like that. Uh, But like, I didn't even know that this producer who is an amazing person uh, went to the University of Georgia. You know, it's like you you get these connections and um, when you leave the South, when you run into somebody or you find out that you have a personal or a professional connection with somebody that goes to Georgia, it is like so much more important because it's very rare. You know, I feel like when I'm in Atlanta, I see Georgia bumper stickers all the time and you you don't even think about anything. Uh, On Saturday, I was watching the beginning part of the Georgia game, uh, socially distanced, of course, at, at an Irish pub out here outside on their patio and uh you know there was one georgia fan like in the corner and i'm screaming at him go dogs go (laughs) you get so excited because you don't see it very often and if you have the opportunities to interact or to help you know somebody who went to georgia you certainly try to seize those too yeah it's been one of the cool things about doing the podcast is getting to hear different folks that are connected to school, whether they played ball there or whether they're doing something professionally. And it's almost made, I think, our affinity for UGA greater than we probably could have imagined because now we have all these stories behind folks that you know are attached to school, but you didn't really know everything about them. And uh, I don't know, it just gives you a lot of pride and and really, I think, makes you feel excited to, to be behind such a a juggernaut in so many ways putting quality people out in the world so so it's fantastic yeah, sure. well, and if i could offer a little advice to you know the listeners it's that you know you'd be surprised how far saying i'm a university of georgia graduate or just go dogs uh can go with somebody who is a uga graduate i mean you guys had hudson mason on Hudson reached out to me a while back and we didn't know each other personally of course i knew who he was from his time of plague and he said, oh, hey, you know, I'm Hudson Mason. I used to play football at Georgia. And I had a couple of questions about the industry and this and that. And, uh, you know, we struck up a conversation and have become friends. And, you know, um, and, you know, it's just funny how things like that happen. You know, he looked me yeah. up, saw that I went to Georgia, had some questions, and I was more than happy to help him. 
uh, with any advice that I can offer. And I've done that with a lot of people uh, from, you know, within the last year to like 10 years ago, people who find me on LinkedIn or other places, if they drop like UGA, I'm always willing to give them a little bit of time to offer my thoughts uh, in any way that I can. Well, well, we certainly appreciate you spending time with us today and being so gracious and, and loved hearing your story. We want to close with you the way we cl close all our interviews. We do something called the Smart 16, 16 questions in honor of a Coach Smart. So Let's do I'm going to shoot them at you real quick. All right. First question is, what's your middle name? My middle name is Few. This confuses a lot of people, but it's Few, F-E-W. It's a, it's a family name. But people, I'll say it and people are like, what? <laughs> but it's, my name's William Few Carr. You might, you might be cousins with Coach Few Gonzaga, man. Uh, oh, you know, maybe, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who was uh, – well, since you, since you walked on our part of the team, usually we say, who's your favorite dog? So we'll ask you that. But we'll also say, who's your favorite teammate? Uh, so in recent memory, of course, I'm a massive Todd Gurley fan because yeah. I, I felt like Gurley was unlike any other running back that I've seen at Georgia. Yep. Uh, when I was at Georgia, I got to say David Green and Ben Watson because of those two experiences that I mentioned early on in the conversation. What is your favorite Georgia game that you've ever experienced, either when you were a player or as a fan? Man, this one's easy. Uh, a couple years ago, we had the Rose Bowl uh, with Georgia and Oklahoma. And uh, I, I don't want to misspeak here, but I believe it might have been the first time Georgia was in the Rose Bowl. If not, Georgia like, never comes to the Rose Bowl, obviously. So yep. living in L.A., I got tickets and I went with a buddy of mine. And I believe it was a double, triple overtime, a multiple overtime game. And it was exhausting. I mean, it was like the craziest game I've ever seen. <laughs> And uh, being there for that game, and we won, which, which added to the pleasure of all of it. But then it, it was so cool because the Rose Bowl is in Pasadena, and it's sort of in very much of a residential area. And yep. so we won the game, and then all these Georgia fans who had flown in for the game pour out of the stadium. And I've never seen anything like this after a Georgia game. They're all just, like, looking around and don't know what to do because there's no bars to, like, go into and celebrate. There's nothing – and so everybody just looks sort of like exhausted from the emotion of the game. And then they're sort of like looking around at what, what to do. So everybody just takes like the mile hike into downtown Pasadena. <laughs> and yep. by the time everybody got there, everybody's physically, emotionally drained, but we're all just hugging, you know, it's just like the happiest. Uh, I, I've never had a Georgia game like that. And I was probably biased just because it happened here in LA, but it was, it was really, uh, it was. So my brother and I were there that night. Oh, no. um, so, you know, yeah. it, uh, it was it was about as magical an experience as you can have. I mean, uh, I, I've, I've told anybody who will listen to this, regardless of whether your team is in it or not, if you ever get a chance to go to the Rose Bowl, you should beg, borrow and steer to go because just being in that venue, it's so iconic. And, you know, the mountains in the back, the San Gabriel Mountains in the background, the sun setting and that, that field. That field doesn't look real. I mean, it is so pristine. And uh, to see all that Georgia red inside the Rose Bowl that night and be so exuberant when Sony goes in the end zone, I mean, it was, it was magical in so many ways. But you described it perfectly. 
exhausted is what I would tell people. I was physically and mentally exhausted when it was over with. Well, and I don't want to say, I don't want to paint a broad brush here, but I will certainly say that I, as a Georgia fan, can tend to be glass half empty where, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, we're going to lose this game. And I mean, like 20 times at that game, I'm like, oh, that we're going to lose this game because something happened. And then to have pulled it out in the way that we did, it was just such a, such a cool way, especially in, uh, that was the first year I believe that we were in the college football playoff, like such a, such a game yep. game of importance uh, to yep. go to the national championship and to have a game like that. I mean, it, it was just, it was so cool. All right. What is your favorite rivalry, traditional rivalry that Georgia has? So I actually had two really good friends in college who were massive Auburn fans. And so uh, I've always loved Georgia Auburn. I think because I mean, uh, I mean, I could be wrong on this, but it's always felt to me very like a very competitive game. Uh, mm-hmm. so no matter who's ranked where or if you're ranked at all, I mean, you feel like you're going to get the other team's best and you don't know exactly which way it's going to go necessarily. I mean, I remember when we played Florida all throughout college, and I think one year when I was in high school, I mean, we, we lost like five in a row, <laughs> you know, and then yep. we've got our Alabama thing now. But whenever we play Auburn, it's like both teams got a chance and – uh, those have always been sort of my favorite games. What is your favorite away stadium in the Southeastern Conference? Uh, so I went to some games at Auburn, loved going to those games. And then also, uh, this is two, but uh, Neyland Stadium. Uh, I went, I believe, twice when I was in college and actually had a fantastic experience. And sometimes it's just like, the personal experience that you have and the Tennessee fans were very like really nice uh you know just really accommodating and so that sort of left a very good taste in my mouth uh for you know possibly ever going back to Knoxville what is the loudest home game you've ever been a part of at Sanford Stadium uh so I can't remember what year this was uh I feel like it was either my senior year or I went back the year after I graduated from Georgia, but it was a night game against South Carolina and it was the first SEC game of the year. And this is back when Spurrier was still coaching. Mark Brick was coaching and AJ green had a breakout game and it was like down to the wire. And I remember thinking I was actually, you know what? I, it was the year after I graduated because I got a press pass and came back with our sports anchor and helped him cover the game. And, and I just remember we were in the press box and I never remember Sanford stadium, like shaking as much it was, as it was shaking during that game. And especially at the end, and somehow we pulled it out as a high scoring game. And then we got to go down and interview AJ green afterwards And I think he might've been a freshman when that happened. Uh, And I just remember thinking when we walked away from that, I'm like, man, it was rocking tonight. You know, that was pretty crazy. And I think as it was a nighttime game, prime time, and both teams were pretty highly ranked at the time. Uh, But that was definitely uh, an awesome game. All right. You get to choose the headlining act at the Georgia theater. Who do you choose? Uh well, if they were still uh, together and around, I would choose the Allman Brothers, uh, which is my favorite band of all time. But uh, since they're not, I either go with Warren Hayes or th- because this is nostalgic for me in Athens, uh, would be the Drive-By Truckers. All right. What is the cocktail you're mixing for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party? 
So because I've matured a little bit in life, mine would be not be a mixer, but it would just be a scotch neat. <laughs> so. <laughs> I like that. All right. So you say you go back for, for the board meetings and everything. If you're back in Athens for one meal, what's your favorite place to eat in Athens? Easily last resort. They've got uh, a um, uh, salmon and grits dish that, you know, in California, they don't even know what grits are. So <laughs> to go back and have that dish is definitely my favorite thing. All right. Do you have any game day superstitions like certain hats you got to wear or anything like that? You know, I have this one that I've had some girlfriends over the years just be like, what are you doing? And I have no idea where this started. I, I have to say it must have started some somewhere around college or right after college. But for every Georgia game day, I wake up and I won't do anything until I put the stick song Renegade on a speaker and I let it play <laughs> twice. And if I don't do that, I feel like the dogs are going to lose. And I have no idea where that came from or what that is <laughs> but but you know that's a song like i associate that song with georgia football for some reason so that's sort of my i love that my we're gonna have, we're gonna have to put that on we're gonna have to put that on our mix now i'm i'm, I'm all about <laughs> yeah, that brother like that. all right what is your favorite sanford stadium pregame tradition whether it's lone trumpet or larry munson um you know, doing the overlay before the game or, you know, red coat marching band spelling out Georgia. Oh, yeah. What's your favorite? Um, I mean, I, I love on a personal level, you know, the players walking into the stadium, high-fiving everybody. I, I mean, just everything really tailgating. Uh, I certainly miss Larry Munson. Uh, I mean, he was a one of a kind. I can still hear him, you know, calling uh, when we beat Tennessee in the hobnail boot to the face. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so many cool things, you know, now when I go back, if we're going back for a game and I take somebody who's not from Georgia, I always take them to the arch and then I take them to the bell and just sort of show them and tell them about the tradition. So uh, that's one thing, you know, later in life for people who don't know anything about Athens, I've always found to be cool. And they always have so much fun. They're like, oh, my gosh. Like, and a lot of them are from California. And they're like, I didn't realize yeah. like, a small town could be so much fun, you know, so. I, I think that's cool these days. All right. Black jerseys, yes or no? Absolutely. What is the loss you're still not over? Uh, every Alabama loss. I remember <laughs> – so whenever uh, – this actually may have started out after I graduated, like a year or two, but we played Alabama, and we were ranked number one. Matthew Stafford was a quarterback, I believe. And Yep. I want to say it was right around when Saban first started coaching. I could be wrong on that, but they beat us and I, they really beat us. Uh, we went in pretty cocky and then we have lost every game to them since then. And, you know, from the national championship to the sec uh, championship games to this past weekend, it's just, you know, they, they, it reminds me of Florida back during the Spurrier days where it's just like, you yep. feel like you can't get over the hump. Um, Although I feel like one of these days we are going to get we're going to get one from them, but I'm still waiting. <laughs> I, I feel I feel good about December seventeenth. I think I just I have a feeling about it. Although I felt great about Saturday night too, so I'm probably the worst judge of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean I um, did until the third quarter. Yeah. All right. What's your order at the varsity? So back in the day, it would have been a chili cheese dog and an orange slushy or slush. Uh, I'm a little healthier eating now, so I probably not have the cheese, but I would definitely still go with the chili dog. 
All right. There ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing noon kickoffs. Yes or no? Absolutely, because I live on the West Coast. So a noon kickoff <laughs> is a 9 a.m. game. And I've actually been involved in the Georgia Alumni Association in Southern California. And pre-COVID, yeah. it's like really cool when you're outside of the South. Uh, you get these alumni associations and in each city they'll have a bar or a couple bars where all the UGA fans show up and watch a game. So you can get together and sort of have that camaraderie in a place like Los Angeles, which is amazing. And we've done this multiple times where it's 9 a.m. and you roll into a bar to watch a Georgia game. And, you know, you, you look yeah. at people who are driving by and they're like, well, they're sort of like shaking their heads at you. Like, oh, you're walking into that bar at 9 a.m. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do to support the dogs, you know. But, yeah, I think that if they could push them back a little bit later, that would help us out on the West Coast. <laughs> All right, college football playoff. Expand to eight teams or find how it is? I think they should definitely expand because we've had so many scenarios where you have a two-loss SEC team and then it's the debate back and forth. Should you put them in? Should you not put them in? I think if you get eight teams, then you're definitely going to get the top two teams at least from the SEC. And then you can sort of see you know, who the best teams are moving forward. And in a lot of ways, it's been interesting this year to get rid of some of the fluff games and only play conference games. And I feel like you're seeing like really who the really good teams are. And you've had some surprises along the way. So I feel like if you expand the playoff to eight, you're really going to have, you know, a better competition and really have a better analysis at the end of who the best teams are. Yeah. My co-host and I were talking about this over the weekend that it's been an interesting year because of the all conference schedule, but in a good way. Like, I like um, it. I like it a lot. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't miss those games where it's like seventy to to ten. I mean, those used to be fun playing on PlayStation, but uh, it's really like you know the men playing the men. And these yep. days, it feels like, especially some schools outside of the SEC, they schedule so many powder puff teams uh, to pad their schedules. And then it's like, well, yeah, they're 12 and zero, but they played three teams all year, you know? So th this feels more, uh, sort of fair across the board to me. And it's like strangely bizarre year. And I've actually wondered out loud to some of my Georgia friends, if this would maybe eliminate some of those games, if everybody sort of afterwards says, wow, this is really productive. This is really good. You know, I don't know because I doubt it will, but um, I do like just the, the conference games, and every, every game is critical. Well, Will, you have successfully completed the Smart 16. Thank you for obliging us with that. Well, Seth, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks so much for having me on. And, uh, you know, always cheering on the dogs and Georgia alumni, wherever they are, Athens or anywhere across the country. You know, if you see me or if you see me on social media, anything, feel free to say go dogs anytime. Uh, it's definitely – a strong badge of honor uh, that we all have. Well, we certainly appreciate you spending time with us, Will, and we're certainly thrilled to see you doing so well, and we'll continue to root for your success as you move forward. And, uh, you know, go dogs, brother. Go dogs. Much love to you guys. Hey, George is better now.